Welcome to the second of two episodes of the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and this episode features comments from today's COVID-19 press briefing, including an introduction from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Pro Tem Hilda Solis, followed by an update from Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LA Public Health. To get things started, here's Supervisor Solis. Yes, thank you very much, and good, af- good afternoon to everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's press briefing. When we look back on this pandemic, many of us will recall the collective action that got us through it. The unity has been the linchpin to where we find ourselves today. This is not to minimize the devastation that has rocked our community, but it is our coming together that I want to call upon today. This past weekend was marked by violence, a heinous, cowardly shooting of two LA County Sheriff's deputies, fighting for their lives, followed by a disturbing arrest of a credentialed reporter. Let's denounce acts of violence and instead work to further a better and more peaceful society. We're stronger together. This pandemic has proven that. Let's draw on that strength together and live up to our highest ideals in all that we do. And now I'd like to turn to action the LA County Board of Supervisors took at yesterday's meeting. The board approved a second allocation of the CARES Act funding to ensure continued support for our residents. This includes services for communities disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, which are low-income communities of color. At my direction, $30 million will allow us to expand the Prometoras, or Community Worker Program, to provide education and resources on COVID-19 and its effect to our Latinx, Black, Native American, Asian Pacific Islander residents, and other communities of color. The Prometoras Program has been successful in reaching community and helping them navigate challenging times before this pandemic, and they must be expanded upon now. Decades of distrust coupled with the significant fear residents have regarding losing their job, their livelihood, and more have made it challenging to reach certain communities during the pandemic, and that challenge can be deadly. This $30 million investment addresses that challenge head on. Additionally, $1 million will go towards supporting hyper-local and ethnic media outlets to ensure life-saving COVID-19 related information gets to those who need it the most, the most vulnerable. Another $10 million will provide continuous assistance to small businesses impacted by COVID-19 closures and operating restrictions. We have also allocated at least $14.9 million to close the digital divide for our residents through the provisions of computer devices, hotspots, and other technology tools. Lack of reliable internet service is an inequity that we have to address. More details on these programs will be provided in the coming weeks, and I thank our acting chief executive officer for using an equity approach to ensure the CARES Act funding goes to those who need it the most. I also want to announce two new programs, one of which is housed in our Department of Consumer and Business Affairs. 90% of tenants facing eviction generally do not have representation from an attorney, while 90% of landlords do. This creates a very uneven playing field. But we know that when tenants do have representation, they are more likely to win. In fact, 
a family's chance of avoiding homelessness due to eviction increased by over 70% when they have legal representation. Individuals can secure assistance regardless of their immigration status. And if you or someone you know needs eviction defense services, you can find legal assistance resources at stayedhousela.org. I also want to share some news that will provide relief for the vital arts nonprofit organizations that have been hit hard by closures and hardship from COVID-19. Last month, L.A. County set aside $135 million of L.A. County's CARES Act Coronavirus Rent Relief Fund for small business assistance. From those funds, we allotted $10 million to support nonprofit arts organizations hit by business losses and interruptions due to COVID-19. COVID-19 affects those nonprofits in many of the same ways as other commercial businesses, and we must protect them also. As of August 11, 2020, the national impact on arts and culture to date, as tracked by the Americans for the Arts, is $10.2 billion in lost revenue and unanticipated expenses. The total impact on arts nonprofit in L.A. County has reached more than $20 million and will continue to grow. 41% of arts nonprofits have reduced salaries or payroll. 34% have laid off or furloughed staff and 40% have laid off or furloughed artists, and only 52% are confident their organization will survive the impact of COVID-19. At the same time, arts nonprofits in LA County are working hard to be a part of the solution. 85% are delivering artistic content to raise community spirits and morale, and over a quarter have volunteered time for coronavirus mitigation efforts. I believe that arts and culture play a critical role in the economic and social resiliency of the county. By supporting this crucial sector survival now, we can protect the local creative economy so that it can thrive again now and in the future. This relief fund will be administered by the LA County Department of Arts and Culture, which has expertise in grants for arts nonprofits and which can distribute this money quickly and equitably to the nonprofits who need it the most. Eligible organizations are current grantees of our county's organizational grant program and or grantees of one of the seven municipal art funders in Los Angeles County. Priority will be given to nonprofits with an operating budget of $15 million or less. This will ensure that small and mid-sized arts organizations, which often serve the county's most vulnerable communities, are supported during this unprecedented time. Guidelines and more information are available at lacountyarts.org slash COVID relief fund. The application period is from September 21st through September 27th. If you are eligible nonprofit with a demonstrated loss due to the COVID-19 pandemic, please explore this opportunity quickly and review all of the information. The department is offering several workshops and office hours to help you through this process. And I want to thank the Department of Arts and Culture for helping us support our hardworking artists, nonprofits, which bring crucial services to our communities. Let's continue doing our part to protect and care for one another. Thank you very much. And now I would like to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Solis and the entire Board of Supervisors. I'm so grateful for the work you do each day to protect the health of all of our residents across uh, LA County. And I'm especially grateful for the focus on making sure that we are providing resources to those residents that are the hardest hit 
by the virus. And good afternoon, everyone. Uh, today, I want to provide you with an update on the indicators that we're closely monitoring to see how COVID-19 affects LA County residents. These metrics do help us understand uh, how we're currently doing and the impact of our past actions on the number of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, not only across the entire population, but also in groups that are disproportionately impacted by the virus. I present these data often because this information is what guides the decisions that are being made by the state and the county around future reopenings. As we've mentioned, we're being cautious in our reopenings of schools, businesses, and other institutions. And as we reopen sectors, we're watching the impact of our action on our ability to continue to slow the spread of the virus here in LA County. And please show the first slide. Uh, this is the trend line that actually shows the seven-day average of daily reported COVID-19 cases. The number of new cases has steadily decreased, as you can see, through August and into September. Last week, the average daily number of cases was about 800, and this is compared with over 2,000 just a month ago. But because we've experienced low testing numbers these past 10 days, uh, the number of new cases we're seeing may unfortunately be artificially low, although I think the trend, uh, the declining trend, in fact, holds. Uh, but how do these numbers relate to the state's blueprint? Oh, wait, before I go there. Uh, we'll be hearing more about the rate of transmission from Dr. Galley in a few minutes, uh, but I do want to encourage anyone who's experiencing symptoms or thinks they've been exposed to someone with COVID-19 uh, who may be positive, uh, please go ahead and get tested. The next slide. Uh, this is the trend line for the seven-day average daily test positivity rate for COVID-19. This measure helps us understand transmission in our communities by letting us know what percent of tests that people are taking end up being positive and or negative. Last week, we saw the lowest test positivity rate to date at around 3.4%. This means that uh, almost 97% of the tests that people took for COVID-19 ended up being negative. Just a month ago in mid-August, this rate, thank you, this rate was around 5%. So we're happy to see the progress that we've made, and we're very much hoping that this number continues to decrease. I'll take the next slide. This trend line is the three-day average of the number of daily COVID-19 hospitalizations. With our average daily hospitalizations returning to levels that we saw early on in the pandemic at around 800 daily hospitalizations, we do feel confident that efforts to slow the spread that people have been making over the last months uh, are, are in fact working. But we're hoping right now is that over our Labor Day holiday, everyone continue to do their best to slow the rate of transmission so we don't experience another surge in our hospitalizations, which takes us, um, which we need to wait and see a few weeks worth of data to know what the impact might be about how we all interacted with each other over the holiday. The next slide. Uh, the next slide shows the daily, seven-day daily average of deaths over time. And fortunately, this number, too, has started to see a sharp decrease. In early September, 
we saw this number decrease to an average of around 20 deaths per day compared to around 35 deaths per day that we saw in early August. Next slide. Uh, so the important question is how do these numbers relate to the state's blueprint for a safer economy and the tier framework that designates the level of COVID-19 transmission in a community? Uh, and as a reminder, the state assigns counties to one of four tiers depending on measures that they use to assess the level of, of COVID-19 community transmission. And it ranges from widespread transmission in tier one, which is the purple tier, to minimal transmission in tier four, which is the yellow tier. The state currently uses two metrics to assign each county to a specific tier. And they're very similar from measures we use. They're just calculated slightly differently. They look at the daily average of new cases per 100,000 people. We've been using a measure that looks at the number of new cases over a longer period of time, either seven days or 14 days. But this is really a daily average of new cases per day per 100,000 people. And they also use a daily average percent of positive tests. So very familiar measures to what we've been marking here in the county. Where a county falls in this tier system determines what options are available for the county to consider related to sector openings and permitted activities. Counties are only allowed to move into a higher tier or the next tier over from tier one to tier two or tier two to tier three uh, if they've had two consecutive weeks of both metrics meeting the new tiers thresholds. So if you move into from tier one to tier two, your case positivity rate needs to drop to below seven cases uh, per 100,000 people, and your positivity rate for tests needs to be between uh, five and eight percent. Um, so that's how you move, but you have to have two weeks of consecutive data that allows you to get into uh, an, a different tier. Um, and if you move into a higher tier, it does mean that transmission is decreasing in your county. And then the county needs to remain in that tier for at least three weeks before you have the possibility to move into a subsequent tier. And if your data changes such that you have increased community transmission, you can in fact move back to a lower tier. Um, much of this is in line with the way we've been thinking and marking our progress here in the county and our approach to cautious reopenings. The next slide, please. Uh, right now, LA County continues to be in tier one, which is the purple tier, the lowest tier, due to our current adjusted daily case rate, which is 8.1 cases per 100,000 residents. As I noted, to move into tier two, we're gonna need our case rate to be less than seven new cases a day per 100,000 residents for two consecutive weeks. Now you'll see here that our test positivity rate is 3.2%, which actually places us for this metric in tier three, the orange tier. But unfortunately for us, the state places counties in the most restrictive tier when the metrics fall in two different tiers. So we're gonna remain in tier one because of our daily case rate. 
If we don't see a surge in cases and hospitalizations associated with activities over Labor Day, and we continue to reduce our rate of community transmission over the weeks ahead, we could enter Tier 2, which is a less restrictive tier, sometime in October. Uh, next slide, please. I also want to give you an update on highly impacted groups that continue to experience disproportionate numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, uh, and also disproportionate rates of case, case rates, hospitalization rates, and death rates. Uh, this graph shows over time COVID-19 cases by race and ethnicity. The trend lines show that for everyone, all groups, we see decreasing uh, rates uh, amongst our cases. And we also see that the gaps are starting to close. At the mid-July peak, the average daily case rate amongst Latino Latinx uh, residents, which is our yellow line at the top, was at about 200 cases per 100,000 people. And that was about four times higher than the rate for white residents, which is the orange line, at 50 cases per day per 100,000, or 50 cases per day per 100,000 people. And it's five times higher, the rate for the Latinx community is five times higher than the rate for Asian residents, which was at 37 cases, uh, cases per 100,000 people. That's the blue line. Cases among black residents, that's the green line, were at 80 cases per 100,000 people during this time. And these were, this rate is also far higher than the rate that was experienced by our white and Asian neighbors. As of early September, however, the case rate amongst the Latino, Latina, Latinx residents, while remaining consistently higher than all other groups, dropped to an average of 40 cases per 100,000 people. This is twice the rate for white residents, which is at about 21 cases per 100,000 people. And that's compared to, remember, the four-fold difference in the rate that we saw in July. The case rate among black residents is now only slightly higher than that of white residents at 24 cases per 100,000 people. And the case rate amongst Asian residents continues to be our lowest rate at about 10 cases per 100,000 people. The next slide, please. This slide shows the uh, average daily hospitalization rates per 100,000 people by race and ethnicity. And we're going to see a significant uh, decline again amongst all groups, and also a closing of the gap between the rate for Latinx community compared to the rate for all other groups. During the mid-July spike, hospitalizations per 100,000 Latinx people were over three times greater than the rate for white residents. And the daily hospitalization rate amongst black residents was double that uh, when compared to black residents. As of September 12th, hospitalizations, uh, daily hospitalizations of both, among both Latinx and black residents were at five per 100,000 people while still twice the rate for white residents, which is at 2.5 hospitalizations per 100,000 people, the gap between Latinx residents and all other groups actually narrowed. Uh, Asian residents have the lowest uh, hospitalization rate at one, uh, one hospitalization per 100,000 people now. And again, narrowing of the gap, uh, which is particularly uh, significant for the Latinx community. 
The next slide, please. Um, every day I, I report on people who have passed away from COVID-19, and every death is devastating. Uh, we are, however, uh, seeing decreases in deaths among uh, most race and ethnicity groups as well. During the July peak, the mortality rate amongst Latino, Latina, Latinx residents was six deaths per 100,000 people. And that was four times that that was experienced by our white residents who had a mortality rate of 1.4 deaths per 100,000 people. The mortality rate amongst black residents was four deaths per 100,000 people. And the mortality rate amongst Asian residents was the lowest uh, was low at 2.7 deaths per 100,000 people. As of September 6, the mortality rate amongst Latinx residents, as you can see, decreased to two deaths per 100,000 people, still twice the rate of white residents and Asian residents who now have a mortality rate of one death per 100,000 people. Similarly, the mortality rate around, among black residents has decreased to almost one death per 100,000 people. However, I do want to note that we've seen a slight spike in deaths among black residents that's represented by the green line, and we're watching this very, very closely. Uh, the actual difference in the, decrease, in the increase from late August to the first week in September is less than one death per 100,000 people because deaths are still a relatively rare event. Uh, but we will need to pay close attention to make sure that we're not seeing increases in deaths among one population uh, group while we're seeing decreases everywhere else. Uh, the next slide, please. When we look at cases by area poverty, we see that the area income has a direct correlation to the number of cases. Uh, cases per 100,000 people in areas with the most resources, those are the lines at the bottom, the blue line, the green line, are far lower than those cases that we're seeing in areas where there are fewer resources. Uh, while we do see, again, significant decreases across all communities, the gaps are not closing in a similar manner as what we just looked at for case rates by race and ethnicity. At the July peak, cases among people living in the areas with the highest rates of poverty, which is at the orange line, were about 350 cases per 100,000 people. And that's over twice the rate for people that are living in areas with the lowest rates of poverty, which is our blue line, who peaked at about 146 cases per 100,000 people. As of the first week in September, cases among people living in areas with the highest poverty rate is 92 cases per 100,000 people, but it's still double that when compared to people living in the areas with the most resources, where they have 44 cases now per 100,000 people. Next slide. And unfortunately, we continue to see higher mortality rates among people living in areas with higher rates of poverty, even while we're seeing, again, significant declines in mortality for everyone. The gap between, the pe between people in the areas with the most resources and the fewest resources, again, has not significantly declined. During the peak, the mortality rate amongst people living in areas with highest rates of poverty were 6.5 deaths per 100,000 people. That's about three times the rate of people who were living in high-resource areas. In early September, the mortality rate amongst people living in areas with the fewest resources was at 2.5 deaths per 100,000 people, a significant decline, but it's still almost three times that 
of people who are living in the highest resource areas. These will remain very important numbers for us to consider as we make decisions about our path forward over the next months. We need to be mindful of the impact of our reopenings and our actions, both across the entire county and especially among those people who are most affected by this pandemic. We'll have to continue to work together and address the inequitable distribution of resources and opportunities that are essential for us uh, to have optimal health and well-being. And now I want to update you on our current status. I'm sad to report an additional 31 deaths today. 17 of the people who passed away are over the age of 80, and 13 of the people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Four people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, and three of the people who passed away in this age group had underlying health conditions. Nine people who passed away are between the ages of 50 and 64, and seven people in this age group had underlying health conditions. The information on the one death that's being reported by the City of Long Beach is available at longbeach.gov. This does bring the total number of deaths here in LA County to 6,303, uh, and that's an extraordinarily high number. Our hearts do go out to everyone who is mourning the loss of a loved one or a friend from COVID-19, and our thoughts and prayers remain with you. 92% of the people who have died from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. For the 5,928 people who passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, 51% are Latino, Latina, Latinx, 23% are white, 15% are Asian, 10% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We are reporting 1,148 new cases today, again, an indication that more testing has been happening this week. This brings the total number of cases in LA County to 256,148. These cases include 11,271 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 2,479 cases reported by the city of Pasadena. There are 804 people that are currently hospitalized with COVID-19 and 30% of the people hospitalized are in the ICU and about 18% are on ventilators. Sorry. Um, we've investigated a total of 100 and 1,759 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Of these, 793 are current active investigations, 763 are current active investigations, and we've closed investigations at 996 sites. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 33,802, this includes 17,085 residents and 16,717 staff. I am sad to report that 2,776 residents in institutional settings have passed away from COVID-19. 2,501 of the people who passed away resided in our skilled nursing facilities. Of the 30 newly reported deaths today, excluding the death in Long Beach, Six were people who resided 
in our skilled nursing facilities. And again, our condolences go out to all who have lost someone to COVID-19. We are reporting 3,646 confirmed cases at some point in the jail facilities. 3,226 are among people who are incarcerated and 420 are among staff. There are 253 cases in the state prison, 192 among people who are incarcerated and 61 among staff. And there are 758 cases in the federal prison facilities. 742 among people who are incarcerated and 16 among staff. Uh, today we're reporting 150 cases in the juvenile facilities, 65 are amongst youth and 85 are amongst staff. And over 2.4 million people have been tested here in LA County uh, for COVID-19 and had results reported to the public health department and cumulatively 10% uh, have been positive uh, for the virus. In closing, I just want to talk for a minute about the months ahead. The autumn and winter months are filled with special times that we all are looking forward to. Uh, there's many secular and religious holidays that we usually uh, celebrate by spending time with our friends and extended family members. And the pandemic has been difficult and frustrating in many ways, including placing limits on how we can celebrate safely. I do encourage all of us to think now about how we might want to modify our plans so that we can share the joy of the holiday while reducing the risk of transmitting a dangerous and sometimes deadly virus. This may mean continuing to plan celebrations just with members of your household and reaching out by phone or video to your friends and family members who live in other parts of the county or the country. On Friday evening, many people across the country we'll begin observing Rosh Hashanah, and we wish all of you a happy new year. As you plan your high holidays, please remember that while we're in this pandemic, the kindest thing we can do for one another is to protect each other from potentially becoming infected with COVID-19. All worship services for every denomination need to be held outdoors with adherence to distancing, infection control, and face covering requirements please be sure to keep each other safe. I know it's difficult to face seasons and holidays that will not be as we want them to be, where we may feel less connected to those we love and less joyous. But this year is an extraordinary year and it's different. And we still must take actions that help us slow the spread of the virus while we celebrate. Another important step I ask everyone to take this fall, and this you can start right now, is to get a flu immunization. It's highly likely that both flu and COVID-19 will be present in LA County at the same time this year. So now more than ever, it's really important to be protected from influenza or flu. The best way to do that is to get immunized. Flu clinics are already open all across the county. And you can find information about where you can get immunized on our public health website, publichealth.lacounty.gov and also on vaccinefinder.org. Um, and also remember that uh, we slow the spread of COVID-19 whenever we get tested for COVID-19, if we have symptoms or we think we've been exposed to the virus. And I know Dr. Galley will discuss that we have a lot of testing capacity across our county. So as a reminder, if you're feeling sick, you've been around people who are sick, 
You've been in close contact with people outside your household who weren't wearing a face covering and keeping their distance. It is time for you to think about getting tested. Getting tested gives you and others very important information about what steps to take around seeking treatment, isolating, and quarantine. And as always, we give our thanks to everyone for doing their part to keep us safe. And now Dr. Galley will give us an update from the Department of Health Services. Hi, good afternoon. Before I begin, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge the heroic efforts of all of the first responders out there who are doing their jobs with integrity every single day. Whether it's people on the front lines in healthcare, in public safety, in fighting the wildfires, I'm very indebted for your selfless service and all of the acts that you've taken over these past very troubling and difficult months. It is deeply appreciated. Today, I will focus my remarks on two things, a brief update on the county's testing sites, some of which were closed in the recent days in response to poor quality, poor air quality because of the wild, wildfires, and then also touch on the county's statistical model for COVID transmission. First on testing, late last week and then again at the beginning of this week through to today, we've closed on a temporary day-by-day -day basis a few of the county-run testing sites due to health concerns related to unhealthy air quality in smoke-impacted regions from the Bobcat and other local wildfires. These measures were taken to ensure the safety of the staff at these facilities as we grapple with the high temperatures and the smoky conditions that could have serious health impacts for the people working at the sites. We continue to monitor on a daily basis air quality data from the AQMD to inform our decisions as to whether or not any given testing site will be open or closed. In cases where we do need to close testing sites, we are keeping continually updated the county's website as well as pushing out updates on social media. You can always find updated information at covid19.lacounty.gov. That's covid19.lacounty.gov. As of today, there are two county-supported sites that are closed, one in Panorama City and one a DHS clinic site at El Monte Comprehensive Health Center. 25 county-run sites, including those that are the core community testing sites and those operated by DPH and DHS clinics, are open and all of them have the capacity to schedule same-day or next-day appointments. None of the closures impact other provider operations that are staffing and running testing sites, including those run by the City of Los Angeles, the State of California run testing sites, or other private sector partners, including those run by retail pharmacy or private clinics. Many of those sites also have a lot of capacity available, including same-day and next-day appointments. Again, for the latest information on the closures and where sites have capacity, please visit the county's testing site and follow the county on social media. While the capacity at county-operated testing sites has been lower in a small way due to these recent closures over the past couple of days, there continues to be a very large number of unfilled testing sites slots at most county, state, and city-operated sites. Over the past several weeks, we've seen a precipitous decline in uh, the number of individuals who are signing up for testing, with overall testing rates a third or almost a half of what they were earlier in August. Currently, about a half of the county's overall testing sites, and in some particular locations, two-thirds of appointments are open and unfilled. 
While transmission rates are lower, testing is still an important part of the COVID response and is what allows contact tracers to do their work, to be able to identify contacts, speak with those people, encourage them to get tested, and really be able to stop the virus from continuing to transmit in the communities. So remember, if you have symptoms of COVID, if you've been exposed or you think you might have been exposed to somebody who is a confirmed COVID case, please do get tested. There's other groups that should be tested as well, including those who live and work in high-risk congregate settings and other locations. And if you have any questions about whether or not you need to be tested, you can always speak with your provider or call 211 if you don't have a provider. Your personal health care provider is always the best place to seek testing initially. It can provide continuity of care. They're well aware of your medical history. And if you do have a positive result, they can help you get follow-up care in an integrated setting. However, you can also get testing at any of those community-based testing centers, and 211 can also assist you. Turning now to the model, the downward trend that we've seen in recent weeks with respect to the number of new daily hospitalizations for patients with COVID-19 each day across Los Angeles County appears to be slowly decreasing or may have leveled off. The COVID transmission rate, or R, that we speak about is estimated in the model to be 0.95, as you closer to the threshold number of one. Last week, the rate was virtually the same at 0.93. If the transmission rate remains under one, then remember that new cases will decline over time. However, if that transmission number R goes up above one, then we'll be back in a growth scenario where there's a much wider range of uncertainty and a higher projected demand on the utilization within the county's public and private hospital systems. In layman's term there, then, we're still very much on the edge of moving in one direction or the other, and at risk of the cases going back up, if people lighten up on the use of these core public health measures that need to be a part of everyone's everyday life, keeping six feet of physical distancing from those outside of your family, practicing good hand hygiene, washing your hand, wearing your face mask, all of these things that we have shown over the last couple of months can really make a difference in reducing transmission across the county. If we do start to experience an increase in transmission rate, however small, this would very much be a cause for concern as we move into flu season. As you know, we don't yet know how influenza and COVID will interact. Certainly it's possible that people who are co-infected with both could have more serious outcomes, and we want to avoid this occurrence. That's why it's so important to both reduce the risk of transmission by doing those core public health measures related to COVID, but also at the same time taking advantage of the fact that while we don't have a vaccine for COVID, we do have one for influenza. There's a seasonal influenza vaccine that comes out every year. It is available now for this year's predicted influenza strains, and those vaccines are very effective at reducing the rate of transmission of influenza throughout the flu season. You can get a vaccine at your provider, at many urgent cares, at many retail pharmacies, or you can find places by contacting the Department of Public Health website as well. 
In closing, I want to extend my gratitude for the public's successful efforts to date in slowing the transmission of COVID. What you have done has worked. We've moved the curves back down, we've begun to close some of the gaps, and we've been able to reduce transmission across the community. And I'm very grateful for your efforts and ask that they continue. We'll now take questions. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you wish to ask a question, please press one, then zero on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the one and zero command. If you are using a speakerphone, we ask you please pick up or pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press one, then zero at this time. We'll begin with the line of Claudia Fischetta with Canex News Radio. Please go ahead. Hi, I have two questions. Um, is the county planning or actually doing anything to protect homeless people from prolonged exposure to poor air quality, especially given the concerns about COVID? And the second question is, uh, can we get an update on contact tracing efforts and a breakdown of the exposure sources identified through the interview? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'll ask uh, Barbara Ferrer to please respond to. Oops. Uh, yeah, thanks so much, Claudia. Um, uh, you know, to answer the, the second question on contact tracing, um, we'll, we'll release a report. I think we put a report up every week, but if you're not finding that, um, we'll go ahead and, and just post that report. Uh, we are doing better. I looked at some numbers this morning that says that, you know, we're up to about 63, 64% of our cases completing the interview, not just talking to us and um, getting some information, but not completing the interview. We have about 63% now of uh, our cases completing the interview, and, and I think it's over 70% of the people who are close contacts, uh, identified as close contacts, completing the interviews. So I want to thank everyone who is cooperating with us. And uh, we, I thought we were releasing those numbers uh, once a week about how many people we've actually contacted uh, for both, both as cases and contacts. But I'll, I will check on that when I get back. And in terms of the, the second question, you know, I'm not really the best person to necessarily respond about all that the county is doing. I know that they're working hard with our partners at LASA and the city um, to make sure that people are, in fact, uh, that people have places to go, uh, including our cooling centers, uh, if they wish to, to get inside. Uh, but I don't have the details, and I, I guess uh, I would suggest that uh, we get back to you with a, with a more specific answer on if you're looking for sort of all of the different activities that are happening. But we'll go on to the next question. Next question will come from the line of Colleen Shelby with the Los Angeles Times. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, I was just wondering if you could clarify, you mentioned earlier that there had been a slight increase in deaths among black residents. Um, do you know if those deaths were connected to people who had been hospitalized for a considerable time or are they connected to recent cases? And I also had a question about contact tracing, just wondering if the county has any expanded efforts as it pertains to college campuses. As we started to see some outbreaks connected there, I mean, especially in San Diego County, but I'm just wondering if the county has any, any plans to kind of address that possibility. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much um, for both questions. I appreciate them. Um, uh, we, we are obviously tracking uh, the slight increase that we just saw in black resident deaths, um, but I don't have particular, I don't have specific information about uh, the, the recent cases. 
Uh, we do, uh, on, on all desks, we really do try to, at some point, get through the medical record review and be able to get a lot of additional information, but I don't have it at this point uh, for the recent uh, spike um, that we just experienced. And we can hopefully get back to you with that information in a few days. Uh, you know, again, we, we have over, unfortunately, over 6,000 deaths in the county. So trying to do uh, the abstractions from all of those records does take us some time. And also, as, as we always note, uh, just because we're reporting the increases in deaths at a particular point in time doesn't necessarily mean that the deaths happen on that day. Oftentimes, it takes a while to confirm that it's a death associated with COVID-19. Uh, but we'll try to get back to you with more information, certainly by next week. Um, and then in terms of your, your question related to contact tracing and, you know, what's happening with our partnership with our college campuses, you know, one thing I want to note is uh, we in L.A. County have not allowed colleges and universities to fully reopen and bring back all their students um, because we did not want to see uh, an explosion of cases that may happen and, in fact, has happened in so many other places when you have a lot of students coming back to the campuses. Uh, we do have some students who have been here all along and live in our neighborhoods and a few students that are on campus uh, because they're part of an essential workforce finishing up their training and need to take an in-person class like a lab class to get their credentials. Uh, but we have been working with every single university. Uh, as a reminder, if they have three or more cases over 14 days, they report to us. That's an outbreak, and we have a team that investigates all of the outbreaks. So we're working closely. I want to thank our university partners. Uh, they've been great, both about helping us uh, reach uh, some of the student contacts uh, of the cases, but also about really reinforcing uh, messages amongst their student bodies about how to be safe and avoid, uh, avoid being in places where they're bound to either transmit or become infected themselves. Uh, and with that, we'll take one more question. Thank you. We'll go to the line of Mark Madler with San Fernando Valley Business Journal. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, my question is, uh, can you explain the rationale behind the ban on breweries being able to open their tasting rooms when they partner with a third-party food vendor? Um, the brewery owners I've spoken to for a story I'm working on um, have all used the word unfair to categorize uh, this regulation. Well, I, I will uh, allow Dr. Ferrer to, to talk about the science behind um, our, our matrix and how we're opening and actually um, looking very closely at what we open and what we don't open at this time. And partly she explained uh, our predicament. We're in, we're in the uh, purple zone right now and, and it's not safe to be able to open everything up and um, I think she can go into more of that but um, I did want to mention something that was asked earlier if I can just to talk uh, quickly about some of the deaths regarding homeless you know the county is very concerned about the homeless uh, individuals and if there are concerns of people that might need help and you see them out on the street please don't hesitate to call us at 211 and to alert us because that's ready lacounty.gov, ready, lacounty.gov, or 211 if you want to report uh, and you see something uh, that we need to be uh, aware of, particularly as it uh, impacts our homeless. So, Barbara, do you want to? Yeah, thanks so much for the question, um, and, and thank you, Supervisor. I, I think uh, the Supervisor said it best. You know, what we're really trying to do is, is sort of manage very carefully the number 
of opportunities uh, we have for being exposed to each other uh, and potentially transmitting the virus. Uh, you know, we, we understand that breweries uh, who are not permitted at this moment in time to prepare and serve food uh, have determined that there is an opportunity where they could, in fact, uh, bring meals onto their facilities by having a food truck and that that ought to allow them uh, to reopen. But the intent here really was to have limited reopenings, uh, knowing that, in fact, you know, bars uh, are often places uh, where there can be a lot of contact with people who are not wearing their face coverings uh, and are, in fact, intermingling. You know, I appreciate how hard it is uh, for everyone uh, to figure out both what's allowed and why it's allowed. Uh, but I do want to reiterate that, you know, our primary goal right now is, as the supervisor said, to get community transmission rates down low so that we can move into Tier 2 and begin looking at opportunities that we can have uh, to reopen sectors, with the primary focus right now uh, being on making sure that children uh, are going to be able to uh, have all of the educational opportunities that they need. So I ask everybody to help us move forward with that goal of continuing to try really hard to do everything we can, limit the amount of time we're spending with other people when it's not essential, uh, so that we drive down our community transmission rates. And with that, I'm going to turn it over. Uh, I have time for one more question. Sorry. Go ahead. One more question. Okay. We'll go to the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4 News. Please go ahead. Hi, Doctor. Thank you very much. Um, Mark Kelly um, from the state spoke of adding an additional metric for uh, going between the tiers, a health equity metric. Uh, do you have a good idea of what that standard will be and whether or not L.A. County is currently meeting it? Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, thanks so much for that question. Um, I think uh, the state is going to release that metric uh, in the next few days, so I, I don't really want to get in front of them, but I do want to applaud the effort uh, that that um, I think having a metric uh, attached to the tier framework uh, represents, which is that every single county really needs to pay paying particular attention to issues around disproportionality, who is um, really uh, has much higher rates of illness associated with COVID-19, uh, and and what can we do to actually, um, in fact, close those gaps? I, I report on it once a week because it's so important here in LA County. I don't know that any of the larger counties uh, will have necessarily met a metric. I don't think that's the way the state is thinking about using it. I think what the state is doing is perhaps they're going to use the Healthy uh, Place Index as a way of allowing us to compare uh, rates of positivity, uh, testing positivity in areas that are well-resourced compared to areas that aren't so well-resourced, and then identify what the gap is and then make progress, like we want to make all the time, make progress on reducing the gap. So I think it, it's more about uh, we all need to commit and, and commit with our resources uh, and create opportunities for us to do the work that allows us to close the gap. But I don't really have, I don't, I don't think the state has released it yet, uh, but we have been in conversations and we applaud the effort uh, to hold all counties accountable uh, for closing those gaps and reducing that disproportionality. And now we will turn to remarks in Spanish uh, from Supervisor Solis. Buenas tardes a todos y muchas gracias por estar aquí hoy con nosotros en esta 
conferencia de la prensa y también les quiero saludar a todos los uh, que están celebrando hoy día el, el Día del Grito y también a los que están celebrando el mes de observando las celebraciones de las uh, contribuciones de los latinos o hispanos. Estamos celebrando este mes con ellos también. Pero quiero empezar. Cuando pensamos en los pasados seis meses, vamos a recordar la acción colectiva que nos ayudó a superar este momento. Una unidad nos ha hecho más fuerte. Esto no es para minimizar la tristeza que hemos pasado, pero nuestra compasión y unión que nos va a ayudar a seguir adelante. Este pasado fin de semana fue muy marcada por violencia. Cuando algún disparo de dos deputados del sheriff del condado de Los Ángeles. Y ahora están luchando por sus vidas. Después, de, deputados arrestaron a una reportera con credenciales. Denunciamos actos de violencia y tenemos que seguir trabajando por una sociedad mejor y de paz. Esta pandemia nos ha demostrado que somos fuertes cuando estamos juntos. Apenas ayer, la Junta de los Supervisores del Condado de Los Ángeles aprobó fondos de CARES Act para seguir apoyando a nuestros residentes. Esto incluye servicios para comunidades que han sido impactados por el virus y que son comunidades de color. Bajo mi dirección, 30 millones de dólares nos permitirán expandir nuestro programa de promotoras o trabajadoras comunitarios para educar a la comunidad sobre el virus y sobre su impacto en las comunidades latinx, africanoamericanas, nativoamericanas, asiáticos y de las islas pacíficas y otras comunidades de color. Nuestro programa de los prometoras ha tenido mucho éxito en ayudar a conectar gente con servicios del de condado y tenemos que expandir este programa ahora. Años de desconfianza y el miedo que tienen residentes de perder su empleo ha hecho más difícil ayudar a ciertas comunidades afectadas por la pandemia. La gente no tiene confianza en el gobierno y eso puede ser mortal. Espero que vamos a invertir 30 millones de dólares en programas de las prometoras. También vamos a dedicar un millón de dólares a los medidos de comunicación étnicos para asegurar que la información que puede salvar vidas sea disponible a comunidades vulnerables. 10 millones de dólares adicionales serán usados para asistir a pequeños negocios que han sufrido debido del virus. También asignamos al menos de 14.9 millones de dólares para ayudar a personas sin internet o computadoras en sus casas. La falta de acceso en el internet es una injusticia. Vamos a hablar más sobre este programa en las siguientes semanas. También quiero anunciar dos programas nuevos de nuestro Departamento de Servicios del Consumidor. El 90% de renteros que están en peligro de perder sus casas no tienen acceso a abogados. Esto también es una injusticia. Pero sabemos que cuando renteros tienen acceso a ayuda legal, es más probable que ganen sus casos. La posibilidad de una familia 
no va a perder su casa bajo un 70% cuando tienen ayuda legal. Renteros pueden recibir ayuda sin importar en su estatus migratorio. Si usted o alguien quiere, quiere cono, o conoce a uh, alguien que necesite esta ayuda, por favor, llame a Stay o vayan al internet a encontrar la ayuda en stayhousedla.org. También quiero decir, tenemos ayuda para organizaciones que promueven artes y que han sido impactados por el virus. El mes pasado, el condado asignó 135 millones de dólares de CARES Act para ayudar a pequeños negocios. De esos fondos, asignamos 10 millones de dólares para apoyar a organizaciones de las artes impactados por el virus. Esta pandemia ha impactado las organizaciones tanto como a nuestros negocios y también las tenemos que ayudar. A partir del 11 de agosto, el impacto nacional de la pandemia en programas del arte y cultura han sido más que 10 millones de dólares en pérdidas de ingreso. El impacto total en el condado ha llegado a más que 20 millones de dólares y sigue subiendo. 41% de organizaciones comunitarias han reducido salarios. 34% han tenido que despedir trabajadores y 40% han tenido que despedir a artistas. Solo 52% de las organizaciones están seguras y van a durar después del impacto del virus. Al mismo tiempo, estas organizaciones de las artes en el condado están trabajando para ser parte de la solución. 8 y 5% de los artistas están apoyando la comunidad y más de 25% han ayudado como voluntarios durante la pandemia. Yo creo que los artes son un parte integral en la economía y de nuestra sociedad. Al apoyar a este sector ahora, podemos proteger la economía creativa en el condado. El Departamento de Arte y Cultura repartirá los fondos a grupos con más necesidades. Organizaciones elegibles que haber revisado fondos a través de algún programa del condado darán prioridad a organizaciones con su presupuesto anual de menos de 15 millones de dólares. Esto va a asegurar que organizaciones pequeñas y medianas, la mayoría de los cuales dan servicios a las comunidades más vulnerables, tienen este apoyo. Por más información, esté disponible en el lacountyarts.org para COVID Relief Fund. La aplicación se abre desde el 21 de septiembre al 26 de septiembre. Esperamos que organizaciones que han sido impactados por el virus pueden aplicar para estas becas. El Departamento de Arte y Cultura les van a ayudar y informar sobre el proceso. Quiero agradecerles al Departamento de Arte y Cultura por su ayuda en apoyar a nuestras organizaciones de las artes y nuestras comunidades. Muchas gracias y ahora quiero presentar Jacqueline Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. Hoy nos gustaría brindarles una actualización sobre los indicadores que estamos viendo de cerca para comprender la forma en que COVID-19 está afectando nuestro condado. A lo largo de la pandemia, 
eh, nuestros, um, estos datos nos ayudan a comprender cómo estamos haciendo en este momento y el impacto de las acciones pasadas, uh, incluidos los cierres y las reaperturas, igual que los comporta comportamientos individuales que hemos visto durante los feriados. Uh, en la cantidad de los casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos. Presentamos estos datos a menudo uh, porque es muy importante considerar, considerarlos cuando el estado o el condado uh, está tomando decisiones para reabrir actividades en el futuro. Como hemos mencionado, estamos siendo muy cautelosos en la forma en que reabrimos escuelas, negocios y otras instituciones. Después de reabrir sectores, estamos uh, observando el impacto de las medidas para continuar frenando, frenando la propagación de COVID-19. First slide, please. Esta línea nos enseña el promedio de siete días de casos de COVID-19 eh, reportados diariamente. diariamente. Uh, nuestro número de casos nuevos ha ido disminuyendo de manera constante durante agosto y septiembre. La semana pasada, el número promedio diario de casos fue de alrededor de 800, en comparación con más de 2,000 hace solo un mes. Estamos observando este indicador de cerca y nos preocupan los bajos números de pruebas uh, que hemos estado viendo durante la última semana, porque este número puede estar disminuyendo, disminuyendo de manera artificial. A cualquier persona que experimente síntomas o haya estado expuesto a alguien que está enfermo con COVID-19 uh, y que ha, estado, ha sido dado un resultado positivo, uh, por favor, hágase la prueba. Next slide, please. Esta línea nos enseña el promedio de siete días de la tasa de positividad de pruebas uh, diarias de COVID-19. Esto nos ayuda a comprender la transmisión en nuestras comunidades a, al permitirnos saber qué porcentaje de las pruebas son positivas. La semana pasada vimos la tasa de positividad de pruebas más baja hasta la fecha, alrededor de 3.4%. Esto quiere decir que casi el 97% de las pruebas de COVID-19 fueron negativas. Hace apenas un mes, a mediados de agosto, esta tasa era de alrededor de 5%. Por lo tanto, estamos contentos de informarles del progreso que hemos hecho hasta este momento y esperamos que este número continúe disminuyendo. Next slide, please. Esta línea está basada en el promedio de tres días de hospitalizaciones diarias por COVID-19. Nos alegramos de ver de que nuestro promedio de hospitalizaciones diaria está regresando a los niveles que vimos al principio de la pandemia en abril. Alrededor de 800 uh, hospitalizaciones perdón, diarias. Tenemos la gran esperanza de que este número continúa, continúe disminuyendo uh, o estabilizándose durante las próximas dos a tres semanas. Cuando veamos el efecto que el fin de semana del de, eh, Día del Trabajo, conocido como Labor Day, uh, ha tenido en las hospitalizaciones. Next slide, please. Es, 
este gráfico uh, muestra el promedio de siete días de fallecimientos diarios y afortunadamente este número también ha experimentado fuertes disminuciones, uh, lo cual es una noticia alentadora. A principios de septiembre vimos que este número disminuyó a un promedio de alrededor de 20 fallecimientos por día comparado con un alrededor de 35 fallecimientos por día a principios de agosto. Next slide, please. Entonces, ¿cómo se relaciona todo esto con el plan estatal para una economía más segura uh, y los niveles que identifican el nivel de transmisión de COVID-19 en una comunidad? Uh, como recordatorio, el estado asigna a los condados a uno de los cuatro niveles según el nivel de transmisión uh, comunitaria de COVID-19 que va desde la transmisión generalizada, el nivel 1, hasta la transmisión mínima en el eh, nivel 4. Actualmente se utilizan dos métricas para asignar cada condado a, a un nivel específico. El promedio diario de casos nuevos por cada 100,000 personas y el uh, promedio de, diario del porcentaje de pruebas positivas. El nivel donde un condado cae eh, determina qué opciones puede considerar uh, un condado para reaperturas uh, y actividades permitidas. Los condados solo pueden pasar a un nivel más alto uh, si han tenido dos semanas consecutivas donde ambas métricas cumplen los límites del nivel. Moverse a un nivel más alto significa que la transmisión está disminuyendo en su condado. El condado permanece en ese nivel durante por lo menos tres semanas antes de que exista la posibilidad de pasar a un nivel más alto. Esto va de acuerdo con el enfoque del condado de Los Ángeles para reabrir de manera cautelosa. Next slide, please. En este momento, el condado de Los Ángeles sigue en el nivel 1, el nivel color morado debido a nuestra tasa actual de casos diarios de 8.1 uh, casos por cada 100,000 residentes. Ahora, para pasar al nivel 2, nuestra tasa de casos debe ser menos de 7 casos nuevos por día por cada 100,000 residentes. Sin embargo, nuestra tasa de positividad de la prueba de, es del 3.2%, lo que nos coloca para esta medida en el nivel 3. Desafortunadamente, el estado coloca a los condados en el nivel más restrictivo cuando las medidas caen en dos niveles diferentes, por lo que permaneceremos en el nivel 1 uh, debido a nuestra tasa diaria de casos. Si no vemos un aumento en los casos y las hospitalizaciones asociados con actividad actividades durante el feriado del Día del Trabajo, deberíamos poder continuar reduciendo uh, nuestra tasa de transmisión comunitaria durante las próximas semanas. Eso podría significar que estaremos a, eh, nos moveremos al nivel 2, un nivel menos limitado durante este otoño. Next slide, please. También queremos actualizarlos eh, sobre los grupos más afectados en esta pandemia, los cuales continúan experimentando casos de uh, desigualdad, hospitalizaciones y tasas de mortalidad. Este gráfico muestra a lo largo del tiempo los casos de COVID-19 por raza y etnicidad. 
estas líneas muestran que con el tiempo nuestros casos están disminuyendo uh, en todos los grupos y las brechas comienzan a cerrarse. A mediados de julio, el promedio de casos diarios entre los residentes latinos a la línea María eh, fue aproximadamente 200 por cada 100,000 personas, alrededor de cuatro veces mayor que la de los residentes blancos. La línea anaranjada, de 50 casos por cada 100,000 personas. Además, fue mayor que el de los uh, 37 casos diarios de los residentes asiáticos, por, uh, 37 por cada 100,000 personas, representada por la línea azul. Los casos entre los residentes afroamericanos, la línea verde, eh, donde vimos 80 casos por cada 100,000 personas durante este tiempo. A principios de septiembre, los residentes latinos, aunque son representados por tasas más altas comparadas con otros grupos, tienen un promedio de 40 casos por cada 100,000 personas, el doble que los residentes blancos con aproximadamente 21 casos por cada 100,000 personas. Los casos entre los residentes afroamericanos son solo un poco más altos que la de los residentes blancos, 24 por día por cada 100,000 personas. Los casos entre los residentes asiáticos siguen siendo los más bajos, alrededor de 10 por día por cada 100,000 personas. Next slide, please. Esta gráfica nos muestra el promedio de hospitalizaciones diarias por cada 100,000 personas por raza y etnicidad. Uh, como podemos ver, hay un cierre similar de brechas entre los grupos. Y durante el aumento de mediados de julio, las hospitalizaciones entre los residentes latinos uh, fueron el doble que la de los residentes afroamericanos, 29 y 15 uh, por cada 100,000 personas respectivamente. En comparación con los residentes blancos, las hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000 personas entre los residentes latinos fueron más de tres veces mayores y las hospitalizaciones entre los residentes afroamericanos fueron el doble que la de los residentes blancos. Ahora observamos que para el el 12 de septiembre, las hospitalizaciones entre los residentes latinos y afroamericanos fueron de 5 por cada 100,000 personas, el doble que la de las personas blancas, eh, 2.5 hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000. Eh, los residentes asiáticos tienen las hospitalizaciones más bajas, a uh, uno eh, por cada 100,000 personas. Next slide, please. Cada día informamos sobre las personas que han fallecido a causa de COVID-19 y cada muerte es devastadora. Y nos alienta a ver una disminución en los fallecimientos entre la mayoría de los grupos raciales y étnicos. Durante el aumento de julio, la tasa de mortalidad entre los residentes latinos fue de 6 por cada 100,000 personas cuatro veces la de los residentes blancos que tenían una tasa de mortalidad de 1.4 por cada 100,000 personas. La tasa de mortalidad entre los eh, residentes afroamericanos fue de 4 por cada 100,000 y la tasa de mortalidad entre los residentes asiáticos fue de 2.7 por cada 100,000 personas. A partir del 6 de septiembre, la tasa de mortalidad entre los residentes latinos disminuyó a 2 por cada 100,000 personas. 
el doble que la de los residentes blancos y los residentes asiáticos que tienen una tasa de mortalidad de una persona por cada 100,000 personas. Del mismo modo, la tasa de mortalidad uh, entre los residentes afroamericanos se ha reducido a alrededor de uno por uh, cada 100,000 personas. Sin embargo, cabe destacar el reciente aumento en los fallecimientos de los residentes afroamericanos a la línea verde. La diferencia real en este número desde fines de agosto hasta la primera semana de septiembre uh, es menos de un fallecimiento por cada 100,000 personas, uh, pero es algo a lo que estamos prestando mucha atención. Next slide, please. Cuando analizamos los casos por área de pobreza, vemos que el ingreso del área eh, está directamente relacionada con el número de casos. Los uh, casos por cada 100,000 habitantes en las zonas con más recursos son muchos más bajos que en las zonas con menos recursos. Aunque vemos disminuciones en todas las áreas, las brechas no se están cerrando en la forma que observamos uh, cuando analizamos los casos por raza y etnicidad. En el aumento de julio, los casos entre las personas que viven en uh, las áreas con mayor pobreza, la línea anaranjada, uh, fueron 350 por cada 100,000 personas, más del doble que las personas que viven en las áreas con pobreza más baja, la línea azul que alcanzaron un máximo de 146 casos por cada 100,000 personas. Desde la primera semana de septiembre, los casos entre las personas que viven en las áreas con mayor pobreza fueron de 92 por cada 100,000 personas, aún el doble que en las personas que viven en las áreas con más recursos, 44 casos por cada 100,000 habitantes. Next slide, please. Y continu continuamos viendo tasas de mortalidad más altas entre las personas que viven en áreas con menos recursos, uh, incluso cuando todos los grupos están experimentando disminuciones. La brecha entre las personas en las áreas con más recursos y menos recursos no ha disminuido de manera significativa. Y durante el aumento, la tasa de mortalidad entre las personas que viven en las áreas con menos recursos fue de 6.5 por cada 100,000 personas, tres veces uh, las de las personas que viven en áreas de altos recursos. A principios de septiembre, la tasa de mortalidad entre las personas que vivían en las zonas con menos recursos era de 2.5 por cada 100,000 habitantes. Y cabe destacar que estos son números muy importantes para considerar el, al momento de tomar decisiones sobre el camino que debemos seguir en los próximos meses. Tendremos que ser conscientes del impacto que tendrá reabrir nuevamente uh, los negocios y las acciones tanto en todo el condado como entre las personas más afectadas por esta pandemia. Por ello, queremos enfatizar que necesitamos seguir trabajando juntos y hacer frente a la desigualdad uh, en la distribución de recursos y oportunidades que son esenciales para garantizar y promover el bienestar y la salud. Y ahora para nuestro informe diario. Nos da tristeza informar hoy 31 fallecimientos adicionales. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 6,303 en el condado de Los Ángeles. 
Esto eleva el número total de muertes a 6,303 en el condado de Los Ángeles. El 92% de las personas que han fallecido por COVID-19 tenían problemas delicados de salud. Y de las 5,928 personas que han fallecido donde se identificó la raza de etnicidad, el 51% son latinos, el 23% son blancos, el 15% son asiáticos, el 10% son afroamericanos, menos de 1% son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y el uh, 1% se identificó con otra raza de etnicidad. Hoy también reportamos 1,148 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 256,148. Actualmente se encuentran hospitalizados 804 casos confirmados. El 30% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 18% de casos está utilizando ventiladores. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 33,802, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. 17,085 de estos casos confirmados son residentes y 16,717 son personal. Y también nos da tristeza informar que 2,776 residentes en estas instituciones han fallecido a causa de COVID-19. 2,501 de estas personas que murieron en entornos institucionales residían en centros de enfermería especializada. De los 30 fallecimientos reportados, 6 fueron fallecimientos también asociados con centros de enfermería especializada. Actualmente hay 3,646 casos confirmados en algún momento en las cárceles, 3,226 entre personas que están encarceladas y 420 empleados. Hay 253 casos en la prisión estatal, 758 casos en las cárceles federales y 150 casos en los centros de menores. Más de 2.4 millones de personas se han hecho la prueba y los resultados han sido reportados al Departamento de Salud Pública del Condado de Los Ángeles. El 10% dieron resultados positivos. Para concluir, nos gustaría hablar un poco sobre los próximos meses. Los meses de otoño e invierno que se acercan y están llenos de momentos especiales que todos esperamos. En los próximos dos meses habrán muchas festividades religiosas y no religiosas y por lo tanto la mayoría solemos pasar tiempo con nuestros uh, seres queridos. Por eso es tan importante empezar a pensar cómo vamos a modificar nuestros planes para reducir el riesgo de transmitir un virus peligroso y a veces mortal. Por ejemplo, pueden continuar uh, planificando las celebraciones con miembros de su hogar y comunicarse por teléfono o video con sus amigos y familiares que estén en otras partes uh, del condado o del país. El viernes por la noche, muchas personas uh, a través del condado uh, comenzarán a celebrar uh, Rosh Hashanah. Les deseamos a todos un buen año nuevo. 
Sin embargo, mientras planifica sus celebraciones, recuerde que estamos en uh, esta pandemia uh, y el mejor gesto de amabilidad que podemos tener el uno por el otro es el de protegernos y proteger a los demás de una posible infección con COVID-19. Los servicios de adoración deben realizarse al aire libre um, con el cumplimiento de los requisitos de distanciamiento físico, uh, el control de infecciones y usar las cubiertas para la cara. Por favor, asegúrese de protegerse mutuamente. Y otro paso que debe tomar este otoño es de vacunarse contra la gripe. Es muy probable que la gripe y COVID-19 estén presentes en el condado al mismo tiempo uh, este año, por lo que ahora más que nunca es, importan es importante estar protegido y vacunarse contra la gripe. Uh, puede llamar a su médico o llamar al 211 para encontrar uh, un lugar donde se puede vacunar. Y si se siente enfermo, uh, ha estado cerca de personas enfermas o ha estado en contacto cercano con personas fuera de su hogar que no usaban cubiertas para la cara uh, y no mantenían su distancia física, por favor, hágase la prueba. Queremos recordarles que hacerse, hacerse la prueba les brinda a usted y a otras personas uh, información muy importante sobre los pasos a seguir para buscar tratamiento, aislarse y ponerse en cuarentena. Como siempre, gracias a todos por hacer su parte para mantenernos a todos seguros. And now we'll move on to remarks in Armenian. Շնորհակալություն վերահսկիչ Սոլիսին եւ ամբողջ վերահսկիչ խորորթին։ Ես շատ երախտապարտ եմ։ Այն ամենի համար ինչ դուք անում եք մեր շրջանի վերաբացում, վերաբացման ճանապարհը հեշտացնելու։ Բարի օր բոլորի։ Այսօր ես կցանկանայի ձեզ ներկայացնել այն ցուցանիշները, որոնք մենք սրտորեն վերահսկում ենք հասկանալու համար, թե ինչպես է COVID-19-ն ազդում Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի բնակչության վրա։ Ողջ համաճարակի ընթացքում այս ցուցանիշները օգնում են մեզ հասկանալ, թե ինչպես են ներկայումս գործում ներառյալ հատվածների փակումը եւ վերաբացումը եւ արցակուրթի շուրջ անհատական բարքագիծի դեպքերը հոսպիտալացման եւ մահվան դեպքերի ամբողջ բնակության շրջանում։ Ներկա իրավիճակը հետեւյալն է։ Այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 31 մահվան մասին։ Այս մարդկանցից 17-ը 80 տարեկանից բարձր են եւ 13-ը ունեցել են ուղղակցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 4-ը 65 տարեկանից 79-ը, որոնցից 3-ը ունեցել են ուղղակցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 9-ը անց 51-ից 54-ն եւ 7-ը ունեցել են ուղղակցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 6303-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ Ethnic պատկանելությունը հետեւյալն է 51% լատինո լատինեքս, 23% սպիտակ, 15% ասիական, 10% աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1% բնիկ հավայան, 1% այլ ռասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 92%-ը ունեցել են ուղղակցող առողջական խնդիրներ, ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջության լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն մնալ տանը եւ խուսափել սերտ կապերից այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 1148 նոր դեպքերի մասին 
Եվ սա բերում է լոս անջալոր շրջանի ընդհանուր դրական դեպքերի թիվը 256,148-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներարում են լոնգբիչ կաղաքում մեր գործ ընկերների կողմից գրանցված 11,271 դեպքեր, իսկ պասետենա կաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 2,479 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկաղ առողջապահական բաժամունքներ։ 18,289 մարդ ինչ-որ պահի հոսպիտալացվել է, որը կազում է բոլոր դրական դեպքերի ոտ տոքոսը։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել է 804 մարդ, որոնցից 30 տոքոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանումքում, իսկ 18 տոքոսը միացված են շնչարական ոթապողիչների։ Ներկայումս կնություններ են կատարվում 1759-ը ինստիտությոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, ուժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ և կրյակ ատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտությունալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 33,802-ն են ներայրյալ անձնակազմ և Սավով ենք հայտնում, որ 2776 մարդ, ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտությոնալ պայմաններում մահացել են COVID-19-ից։ Եվ մահացացներից 2501-ը բնակվում էին հմուտ բուշքույրական հաստատություններում։ Մենք ծավում ենք այս կորոստի համար։ Եվ publichealth.lacani.gov Ավելի կան 2,4 միլիոն մարդ տեստավորվել են և արդյունքները զեկուցվել են լոսանջելո շրջան, որից տաս տոքոսը դրական է։ Ուրպատ երեկոյան շրջանի ամբողջ տարացքում շատ մարդիկ կտոնեն ռոշա շանա և Մինչ մենք այս համաճարակի մեջ ենք, ամինաբարի բանը, որ կարող եք անել մի միանց համար, պաշպանել մի միանց հնարավոր COVID-19-ով վարակվելուց։ Երկրպագությանց առայությունները պետք է անցկացվեն դրսում, պահպանելով դժվար է հանդիպել տոների և արցակուրդների, որոնք չեն լինի այնպես, ինչպես մենք ծանկանում ենք, որտեղ մենք կարող ենք մեզ ավելի կիչ կապված և ուրաղսկալ։ Բայց այս տարի արտարոց տարի է, այն այլ է և գրիպի պատվաստում ստանալը։ Շատ հավանական է, որ ինչպես գրիպը, այնպես էլ COVID-19-ը այս տարի միաժամանակ ներկա կլինեն լոսանջելո շուրջանում։ Ուստի այժմ առավել կան երբև է կարևոր է պաշպանվել գրիպից և vaccinefinder.org 
վերաբերալ տեղեկություններ կարող եք գտնել այն մասին, թե որտեղ կարող եք պատպաստվել։ Այս աշնանը COVID-19 տարածումը դանդաղեցնելու համար կատարելու մեկ այլ կարևոր գործողություն է հետազոտություններ անցնել, եթե ախտանիշներ ունեք։ Մեր վարչաշրջանում փորձարկման մեծ կարողություն կա այնպես, որ եթե դուք հիվանդեք, եղել եք մարդկանց շրջանում կամ սրտ կապի մեջ եք եղել ձեր տանից դուրս գտնվող մարդկանց հետ, ովքեր չեն կրել դիմակ եւ չեն պահպանել հերավորություն, տեստավորվել եւ շատ կարևոր է տեղակատվություններ ստանալ այն մասին, թե ինչ քայլերը պետք ձեռնարկել բուժումը ստանալու, մեկուսանալու եւ կարանտինացվելու համար։ Ինչպես միշտ նորակալություն բոլորին, բոլորիս անվտանգ պահելու համար։ Շնորակալություն։ Thank you. Now the remarks in Korean. 네, 안녕하십니까. 먼저 회복과 관련된 대시보드 업데이트를 알려드리겠습니다. COVID-19 케이스의 7일 평균을 보면 8월과 9월에 꾸준히 새로운 케이스 수가 줄고 있음을 볼수 있습니다. 지난주에 평균 1일 케이스 수가 800대였는데 한달 전에는 2000 케이스가 넘었었습니다. 이 수치를 우리는 자세히 살펴보고 있는데 지난주부터 테스트 받는 수가 낮았, 어, 낮았기 때문에 그 영향으로 인해서 이 케이스 수가 줄고 있는지 확인하고 있습니다. 증상이 있거나 코비드19 양성 확진자에게 노출된 것 같다면 꼭 테스트를 받으십시오. 7일 평균 1일 양성 확진율을 살펴보면 지난주에는 3.4%로 가장 낮은 확진율이었습니다. 이 말은 테스트를 받는 사람 중에 97%가 음성이었다는 뜻입니다. 한달 전에 8, 8월 중순에는 5%였기 때문에 계속 이 수치가 줄어들기를 바라고 있습니다. 3일 평균 1일 병원 입원자 수도 팬데믹 초기 즉 4월에 어, 그때의 수치로 돌아갔는데 약 800명 정도입니다. 다음 2, 3주 동안에는 어, 데, 이, 이 데이터는 어, 네이버데이 주말에 영향을 받아서 병원 입원자 어, 수가 계속 줄거나 어, 유지가 되기를 바라고 있습니다. 7일 평균 1일 사망률 역시 줄어들고 있는데 9월 초에는 평균 사망자 수가 20명이었고 8월 초에는 35명이었기 때문에 그것에 비하면 줄어든 수치입니다. 어, 이 모든 수치들이 주정부가 커뮤니티에서 코비드19 확산을 레벨을 정하는 단계 체제와 어떻게 관련이 있습니까? 주정부에서는 코비드19 커뮤니티 확산에 따라서 네 단계 중에 하나의 카운티를 분류해 놓았습니다. 단계 1은 많이 확산이 된 것이고 단계 4는 최소화된 확산입니다. 현재 각 카운티를 어떤 단계에 지정하는지는 두 가지 기준을 보고 있는데 10만 명당 1일 평균 새로운 케이스 수와 1일 평균 양성 확진율입니다. 카운티가 어느 단계에 있는지에 따라서 어떤 활동들이 화, 어, 허락이 되고 또 어떤 영업들을 재개할 수 있는지가 결정됩니다. 카운티는 2주 동안 연속 두 가지 기준이 그 단계 기준점에 달해야 다음 단계로 올라갈 수 있습니다. 더 높은 단계로 올라갈수록 확산이 줄어들고 있다는 뜻이고 그 단계에 3주 동안 있어야 그 다음에 더 높은 단계로 올라갈 수 있습니다. 현재 LA 카운티는 1단계에 있는데 현재 1일 케이스 수가 10만 명당 8.1 케이스 수이기 때문입니다. 2단계로 가려면 10만 명당 7 케이스여야 합니다. 
어, 그러나 테스트 확중률은 3.2%이므로 3단계에 준하는 수치입니다. 그러나 주정부에서는 이두 단계 중에서 더 제한적인 단계를 따르기 때문에 이를 케이스 수 때문에 우리는 여전히 1단계에 머물러 있습니다. 만약 앞으로 몇주 동안 케이스 수나 병원 입원자 수가 갑자기 치솟지 않는다면 아마 이번 가을에는 2단계로 들어설 수 있을 것입니다. 다음은 불균형한 케이스와 또 병원 입원자 수 사망률을 경험하고 있는 그룹에 대한 업데이트입니다. 시간이 지나면서 코비드 19 케이스는 인종과 민족성의 영향을 받는다는 것을 알게 되고 있습니다. 9월 초에 라틴 계열의 주민들은 다른 그룹보다는 높지만 10만 명당 평균 40 케이스였는데 백인 주민이 10만 명당 21 케이스 수로 두배 어, 이상 높은 케이스 수입니다. 흑인 주민은 10만 명당 24 케이스. 로서 백인 주민보다 조금 높은 수치이고 동양인 주민들은 10만 명당 10 케이스로 제일 낮은 수치를 보고 있습니다. 또한 9월 12일까지 라틴 계열과 흑인 주민들의 병원 입원자 수는 10만 명당 5명, 백인들은 10만 명당 2.5명으로 어, 라틴 계열과 흑인 주민들이 두배 높았고 동양인은 10만 명당 1명으로 제일 낮은 수치입니다. 9월 6일까지의 사망률을 보면 라틴계 주민들은 10만 명당 2명, 백인 동양민 주민들은 10만 명당 1명입니다. 비슷하게 흑인 주민들의 사망률도 10만 명당 1명으로 줄어들었습니다. 빈곤 지역에 있는 케이스 수를 살펴보면 9월 첫째 주까지 높은 빈곤 수준에 사는 사람들 중에 케이스 수는 10만 명당 92 케이스였고 리소스가 많은 지역에 사는 사람들의 케이스 수는 10만 명당 44 케이스로서 두 배가 낮았습니다. 또한 9월 초에 리소스가 많이 없는 지역에 사는 사람들의 사망률은 10만 명당 2.5명으로 리소스가 많은 지역에 사는 사람들보다 높은 수치였습니다. 그럼 이제 데일리 리포트를 말씀드리겠습니다. 유감스럽게도 코로나 바이러스로 인해 추가로 31명의 사망자가 보고되었습니다. 이 중에 17명은 80세 이상이고 그중 13명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 4명은 65에서 79세 사이이고 이중 3명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 9명은 50에서 64세 사이이고 이중 7명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 농비치시에서는 한명의 사망자가 있었고 자세한 점은 농비치 웹사이트에서 보실 수 있습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 6,303명입니다. 코로나 바이러스로 사망한 분들 중에 92%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 5,928명의 사망자 중에 51%는 라틴 계열, 23%는 백인, 15%는 동양인, 10%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양성 원주민, 그리고 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 오늘로써 1,148건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 25만 6,148건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치시에서 1만 1,271건, 파사디나시에서 2,479건이었고 이두 시는 각 보건구가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 현재 804명의 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이중 30%는 중환자실에 있고 18%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 
하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 총 1,759개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 이중 763개는 현재 조사 중이고 996개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 3만 3,802건이고 이중 1만 7,085명은 거주자이며 1만 6,717명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 시설에 사는 사람들 중에 사망자 수는 2,776명이고 이중 2,501명은 전문 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 오늘 발표된 30명의 사망자 중에 6명, 즉 20%는 전문 간호시설 관련 사망 케이스입니다. 교도시설에서는 총 3,646건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 3,226명은 수감자이며 420명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 지금까지 LA보건부로 240만 건 이상이 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었으며 이중 10%는 양성 결과였습니다. 끝으로 앞으로 이제 가을과 겨울철에는 우리가 고대하고 있는 특별한 시간들이 다가오고 있습니다. 앞으로 우리는 몇달 동안 우리가 보통은 친구들과 멀리 살고 있는 가족들과 함께 시간을 보내던 세속 종교적 공휴일들이 있을 것입니다. 이 유행병은 우리가 안전하게 이런 공휴일들을 기념하는 데에 제한을 두어야 하기 때문에 굉장히 실망스럽고 또 어려운 상황이 될수 있습니다. 모든 분들에게 말씀드리고 싶은 것은 이 치명적이고 위험한 바이러스의 확산의 위험을 줄이면서 공휴일을 즐길 수 있는지 계획을 조정해 보시라는 것입니다. 어, 금요일 저녁에서는 카운티 내에 많은 사람들이 로시 하샤나를 기념하기 시작할 것인데 어, 신년을 축하합니다. 휴일을 계획하면서 꼭 기억할 점은 이 팬데믹 가운데서 다른 사람들을 위해 할수 있는 가장 친절한 일은 코비드19로부터 전염되지 않도록 서로를 보호해주는 것입니다. 어, 예배를 두는 방식은 거리 두기와 감염 관리, 얼굴 가리게 그와 같은 조건들에 따르면서 야외에서 진행할 수 있습니다. 꼭 서로를 안전하게 지켜주십시오. 휴일과 이런 계절을 우리가 원하는 대로 지킬 수가 없기 때문에 어, 기쁨이 줄어들고 서로 결합할 수 없는 것처럼 보일 수 있습니다. 그러나 올해는 아주 특별한 해입니다. 우리는 이런 일들을 기념하면서도 바이러스의 확산을 늦추기 위해서 여전히 행동해야 할 것입니다. 이번 가을에 우리가 따라야 할 중요한 단계 중 하나는 독감 예방접종을 받는 것입니다. 올해 독감과 코비드19가 둘다 LA 카운트에 동시에 발생할 가능성이 높습니다. 그러므로 지금이 감기나 독감으로부터 자신을 보호하기 위해 예방접종을 받아야 할 아주 중요한 시기입니다. 독감 클리닉은 카운티 전체에 이미 열려 있기 때문에 어디에서 접종을 받을 수 있는지 보건국 웹사이트인 publichealth.lacounty.gov 그리고 vaccinefounder.org에서 보실 수 있습니다. 이번 가을에 COVID-19의 확산을 늦추기 위해서 해야 할또 다른 중요한 행동은 바이러스에 노출이 되었거나 증상이 있다면 COVID-19 테스트를 받는 것입니다. 카운티 내에 테스트를 받을 수 있는 곳이 많기 때문에 몸이 아프거나 아픈 사람 곁에 있었거나 가족이 아닌 사람과 얼굴 가리개가 없이 거리를 두지 않고 밀접한 접촉이 있었다면 꼭 테스트를 받으십시오. 테스트를 받는 것은 여러분과 다른 사람에게 
그들이 어떤 치료를 받아야 하는지 또 격리나 고립을 해야 하는지와 같은 중요한 정보를 알려줄 것입니다 언제나 우리 모두를 안전하게 지키기 위해 각자의 역할을 다하고 계시는 모든 분들께 감사드립니다 uh, Next, Alan Chang will brief in Mandarin Thank you Thank 部分商业重启部分活动起了至关重要的作用我提过我们重启学校商业和其他团体的一切都非常谨慎每当行业重启后我们都会监测这些重启会给我们控制病毒带来什么样的影响下面我会让大家介绍一些康复数据的更新这第一个是COVID-19及新
。那么，我们上面的参数与州政府的关于安全经济与病毒传播相关的年的各步骤又有什么关系呢？州政府通过病毒传播参数将各县分成分成四类，从广泛传播到的第一级到小量传播的第四级。州政府通过两组参数来进行分类，每日新增病例即是以每十万人计的每天新增新增病例为第一个参数，第二组参数是每天呈阳率的七天平均值。每个县所处的梯级决定了该县可以采取什么样的方式重启经济，可以允许那些活动等等。一个县的两组参数，只有在持续两星期都处在梯级标准下，才能上升到下一个阶段。如果某个县进入下一个高梯层，那就意味着该县的传播在下降，该县在一梯层停留至少三星期后，才能有可能上升到下一个更高的梯层。Next， 我们洛县所处现在所处的梯层。我县现在所处的第一层及最低层次及紫色梯层，因为我县每十万人中每天新增病例为八点一人，而上升到第二梯层的标准是每十万人中每天新增病例七人，但我县的另一组参数及测试呈阳率的参数的是百分之三点二，这一参数符合进入第三梯层及高两个层次的标准。当出现这种情况时，州政府会将该县归入要求更严的低层次。所以，因为我们县每日病例数，我县被归类为第一梯层。如果劳工节给的新增病例和住院病例带来不大的影响，我们有望在未来的几星期内看到病例和住院均有下降。这意味着我们县有望进入下一个高梯层。下面我给大家做一个每日简报。我很不不幸，我们今天又有三十一人因新冠病毒去世，其中十七人是八十岁以上的长者，在这十七人中，十三人患有其他疾病，四人的年龄介于六十五岁到七十九岁之间，其中三人患有其他疾病，九人的年龄在于五十岁到六十四岁之间，其中七人患有其他疾病，长滩市有一例死亡。有关资料可以在唐汤市的市所网站找到 ，longbeach.gov。这样，洛县总死亡人数就达到了六千三百零三人。我们和那些失去亲人的朋友心是相连的，我们和你们一起悲伤，因为失去 COVID-19 失去亲人，我们为你们祈祷。因新冠病毒去世的人中，有百分之九十二的人都患有其他疾病。因新冠病毒去世人中有五千九百二十八人的逐一背景已得到分类，分类结果如下：拉丁裔占百分之五十一，白人占百分之二十三，亚洲人占百分之十一十五，非裔占百分之十，属夏威夷群岛和太平洋岛屿的原住民所占的比例不足百分之一，还有百分之一属于其他族裔。今天我们新添病例一千一百四十八例，这样洛杉矶县。病例的总数就上升到了二十五万六千一百四十八例。这些病例包括
长滩市的一万一千两百七十一例和帕萨迪纳市的两千四百七十九例。现有的确诊新冠病例患者住院的人数为八百零四人，其中百分之三十的人受住在加护病房，加护病房中有百分之十八的人使用呼吸机。我们对一千七百五十九个大型住宅和非住宅机构做了调查，这些机构中至少有一个是已知新冠病毒患者，其中七百六十三个仍在调查之中，九百九十六个已结束调查。机构确诊病例的总数为三万三千八百零二人，其中居民是一万七千零八十五人，员工是一万六千七百一十七人。我们很沉痛，因新冠病毒去世的人中有两千七百七十六人来自机构住所，其中两千五百零一人来于熟稔护理机构。在今天新添的三十例死亡人中，但不包括长安市的，有六人是来自于熟稔护理机构。我们再次为那些因新冠病毒辞去亲人的朋友送去我们诚挚的问候。我们再来谈。谈监禁场所，所有监禁场所的确诊病例是三千六百四十六人，其中三千二百二十六人为囚囚犯，四百二十人为管教人员。加州监狱有两百五十三人，其中一百九十二人为囚犯，六十一人为管教人员。联邦监狱是七百五十八例，其中七百四十二人为囚犯，十六人为管教人员。少年管教所有一百五十例，其中六十五人为囚犯，八十五人为管教人员。这样，洛县有超过了两百四十万的居民进行了新冠病毒测试，并上报了测试结果，其中呈阳性率为百分之十。我谈谈秋季和冬季我的一些预想。在结束前，我想和大家谈谈关于未来的几个月，秋季和冬季。这两个季节通常会有很多我们盼望的特别日期。接下来几个月，我们会陆陆续续的迎来许多通常通俗的和宗教性的节日。通常我们会和朋友和许多亲戚一起度过这些节日。但是，这个病毒给我们造成了许多困难，在多方面给我们带来很多麻烦。我们欢度节日，给我们欢度节日设置了许多障碍。我在这里鼓励大家仔细想想，是否修改欢度节日的一些计划，做一些稍微的调整，以便减少这一危险，并且致命的病毒在我们之间的传播。这就意味着，我们除了和家庭成员一起度过节外，只能通过电话和视频与朋友。远在他乡的朋友或亲戚联系了。这个期间，这个星期五的晚上开始，洛县的很多居民将会开始庆祝 Rosh Hashina 犹太新年。我们祝你们新年快乐！在你们开始欢度佳节时，我要提醒你们。在目前大瘟疫期间，我们能为亲朋好友所做的最好的是保护他们免于新冠感染。因此，做礼拜时需要在教堂外进行，保持相互之间的物理距离，采取控制感染的措施，并
佩戴口罩，请大家一定要互相照顾。当我们不能像网上一样欢度我们的节日时，我们会觉得深受了彼此不如以前一样快乐。但今年是一个非常特殊的年份，与以往任何年份都不一样。我们必须采取一切措施或行动来减缓病毒的传播。还有一点非常重要。就是打流感预防疫苗。这个季节在洛县，流感和新冠病毒可能会并存，所以这一个季节来临时，打流感预防针和比任何时候都重要。在洛县各地已有许多诊所开始提供这一服务，你可以在以下网站查找提供流感疫苗注射的诊所 ：Public Health。dot lacounty dot gov at vaccine fund dot org。这个季节中预防和减缓新冠病毒的另一个方法是，如果你在有症状出现或在已经暴露在病毒中，最好做的是去做测试。前洛县有很多测试点，如果你生病了或者与病人接触过，或者与家人之外未戴口罩的人有过亲密接触，请你一定要去做测试。只有通过测试，才能让你和你周围的人知道采取什么样的相应措施，是否需要治疗，是否需要隔离和检疫。最后，感谢大家，感谢你们各尽其责。This concludes for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.